Our New Testament reading is from Romans chapter 13. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our gospel reading is from Luke chapter 10. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, Go, and do likewise. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. So good morning. Good morning. It uh yeah, that text is uh is quite a quite a story. And one of the things I want to say is if you're familiar with this Bible story or not, you're probably familiar with the phrase Good Samaritan. Um, we have a lot of different things in our culture that shape themselves around this word. One particular thing is there's a set of laws called the Good Samaritan Law which actually helps people like me who are in the food rescue and food security business. It actually protects food donors from liability. If you donate your excess food, you can't be sued if something then happens on the other side. So there's like laws that have been structured around this very particular text uh, called the Good Samaritan Laws. Maybe you're familiar with different organizations that are called Good Samaritan or with the international organization called Samaritan's Purse. There's a lot of ways that this story has been used, but the central idea is that this story centers itself around helping others. So even if you weren't familiar with the story this morning, you've at least probably heard the phrase Good Samaritan before, and you've probably understood that this has some idea to do with helping people. So what I want to do is I want us to kind of take a, a second to dive in, but first I want to intro um, that you guys have been walking through a sermon series called Seeing Through the Eyes of Faith. And today we want to look at this idea of seeing our neighbors. 
So we want to see how faith will shape us to see our neighbors, but not only see our neighbors, but also to care for and to love our neighbors. Let's take a minute to get into this story. So we enter this story this morning with Jesus um, and a law expert. And it's kind of an interesting scenario. It's like the law expert is almost trying to catch Jesus in something. He's sitting there and he asks him a question. He says, teacher, what must I do to to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied to him, he said, what is written in the law? What do you read there? And he answers, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. This actually was two parts of the Old Testament. Uh, First part was taken from Deuteronomy 6.5 called the Shema Prayer, which is one that if uh, you have any Jewish friends that you may see if you walk in their doorway, they have this scripture kind of hanging there. It was this famous prayer of loving God with all of your being and then teaching that, instructing that to your children, and passing that teaching down. The second part comes from Leviticus 19, and it's where talk about loving your neighbor as yourself. These two together can make up what we call the great commandment. So this is what Jesus, this is the answer, and Jesus says to him, you've answered correctly. So it's like, done deal, he should just walk away, story over. That's not where the story ends. Because the question comes back, well then who's my neighbor? What the law expert, the text actually says he was trying to justify himself. What he was trying to get at was he was trying to find a loophole. Who do I have to actually help? Do I have to help all people? Is there all people that I have to help? Or is it just certain people? Is it like people that are close to me, people that aren't close to me? And Jesus comes back with a story, which is a great way. One of the ways that Jesus used to teach was through parables. These are these stories that would pull out these ideas that would sometimes all the audience and put people in shock. So this is where we get to the story of the Good Samaritan. Who is my neighbor? Who am I called to be responsible for? Who am I called to help? Who am I called to be drawn towards? And Jesus begins with this story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell into the hands of robbers, who stripped him, beat him, and took him, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by the other side. So likewise, a Levite came to a place where he saw him. He passed by and went on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came upon him. He went to him. He was moved with compassion. So the translation you heard this morning says pity. The actual word can be translated compassion, moved with compassion. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, treated them with oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. There is a movement that happens with the first two people and a movement that happens with the third person where there's a change in the story. So the first two people, they come, they see, and they keep moving. They come, they see, and they keep moving. The priest and the Levite. Now, this is interesting because 
this, the way that the road, uh, the way that this, tr this, this path would have been is this was actually a dangerous journey where robbers would hide out to actually rob people. So you have a person laying on the side of the road that could it be a trap, could it be a ploy, could it be a way to trick me? So I don't want to like completely throw the priest and the Levite under the bus and saying the phrase that like there wasn't any risk involved in them stopping to help. Like so maybe what they did could have been logically or rationally considered the right thing to do. Like hey, I'm going to like just keep going because this seems pretty shady and I don't want something to happen to me, so I'm going to keep moving. The irony of this, in this story, is that the priest and the Levite, Tim Keller says in his book's Ministry of Mercy, that the irony between this is the priest and the Levites were the very offices that God, where God's people were charged with helping the needy. The priests were like the public health officials, and along with their other duties, and the Levites were the ones that distributed alms to the poor. So it's like these two groups of people were the people in the religious community that would have cared for people like this, and they keep going. But like I said, there was great risk, so it's not like, it's like they were, they're walking down the road. And this is where the story kind of takes a turn. A Samaritan enters. And uh, if you're familiar, Samaritans and Jews did not get along. Um, in the Jews' minds, Samaritans were considered unclean, socially outcast, they were religious heretics, and they were the opposite, the exact opposite of the lawyer, the priest, and the Levite. So these are like separate groups. It's like, hold on, wait, I'm, the, I'm a lawyer, you're telling me this story, my people, the priest and the Levite, you know, the good, the good guys are walk by, pass, leave this guy on the road, and then the bad guy, the Samaritan, comes in the story, you know, the one that we don't like, this one that like, yeah, they're wrong, we're right, they're wrong, is the one that actually acts, is the one that actually comes, sees, and is moved with compassion. Went and cared for the wounded man, followed by six acts of compassion that have a cost. He bandages the wounds, treats them with oil and wine. He puts, he puts them on his animal, brings them to the inn, takes care of them, pays the innkeeper, says, I'll be back whatever I owe. I'll pay you when I come back, the, the remaining balance. He sets this person up. He risks his safety by stopping to help the person. He takes his time and jacks up his schedule. Who knows if he had other plans that day or if his schedule was full, but he's driving down the road and there's someone that needs help and he stops. He's got to take that time. He spends his financial resources. Two areas were like two days wages, but then he also offers um, to pay whatever else is there. So we don't know what that amount exactly could be. But he takes his time to care for a person in need. He gets personal with the person in the ditch. It can be scary. It, listen, when people's lives are messed up or when tragedy happens, there's a periphery around that tragedy that causes some damage. And when you enter into the circle of helping in those situations, it's going to cost you. It's not free. But my prayer is that we can be moved with compassion. 
Which of these threes do you think was a neighbor? Which of these three do you think was a neighbor of the man who fell into the hands of robbers? He said, the one who showed mercy. Jesus says, go and do likewise. End of story. The Samaritan acted with compassion. And at the end of the story, he can't even name, the lawyer can't even name the Samaritan as the, as the hero. He calls him the one who showed mercy. The one. He can't even name him because of the, what's in him, the hatred that he has. John Calvin talks about this passage this way in this particular scenario. Christ might simply have told the lawyer that the word neighbor applies indiscriminately to any man. For the whole human race is linked in a holy bond of brotherhood. It would have been a clever command if it had run. Thou shalt love every man as thyself. However, says Calvin, the story has the virtue of forcing the lawyer to admit that our neighbor is the man most foreign to us. For God has bound all men together for mutual aid. It would have been easier just said, hey, everyone's our neighbor. But this story is saying, not say, that's what Calvin's telling us in this commentary on this passage, is a lot of times it's a person most foreign to us, most alien to us. And I think about in our world today with political divides and racial divides and all the chaos and stuff that's going on, that actually this division, these hatreds, this sides around religious and political, that God is calling us together to help. It's an interesting point. Seeing our neighbor, neighbor is not always easy. We can't just come and see and keep it moving. I think so many times, how many times in my life, in my day, do I come and see and keep going? We're called to come and see and to be moved with compassion. That is where this story takes a turn. Because if the Samaritan just came and saw and kept it moving and everyone reports, hey man, there's a dead guy that died on the side of the road, we find out three days later. He acted. So one of the things I want to talk about just for a moment is how, how we talk about this idea of being helpless. The person was half dead on the side of the road. And I think about situations of, have you ever been in a position in your life where you felt helpless um, and you felt out of control and you felt the only way that you could get help is if someone intervened from the outside? That is the situation that this person is in on the side of the road, laying there half dead, is that there is no way that this person is getting up, walking away, and living. This person actually has to have someone come to them, bandage their wounds, invest, and walk with them. I think about the story of Jesus. 
And I think about the way that Jesus has come to bandage our wounds, to lift us up out of the ditch in the greatest act of compassion in human history when the resurrected Christ comes and meets us in our ditch and bandage our wounds, puts us on the donkey, brings us to the inn, and brings us back to life. That is the starting point of how we can begin to have compassion for others, is we have to first be brought to life from the ditch. Think about how God has moved towards you in Christ? How has he rescued you? How has he met you? And what does this mean in loving your neighbor? Loving God moves us to love others. God's love and compassion propels us to live the great commandment. We can't love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our strength, and love our neighbor as ourself without God first loving us. And that's what the Christian story tells us. The good news is that God has first loved us. And in loving us in Jesus, he compels us to not walk by a neighbor in need. We will be called to move towards others with compassion as a result of meeting the resurrected Jesus on the side of the road. So I want to look at just a, a quick example of who is our neighbor. And I'm going to go through some statistics uh, for the city of Philadelphia. And the reason why I want to go through this is because, one, every time I look at this, I kind of get shocked about like where this, like how things are. And, uh, and, and I, want to, I want to make two caveats. One, like our neighbor obviously is everyone in these pews, and I'll talk about that in a moment, about how we can like take practical steps about entering into people's lives and uh, how that does cost something. But first, I want to look at the larger scope of, like the, of how, um, how poverty um, and some of the ways that uh, injustices affect neighbors that we interact with um, and that we see every day. So the first thing I want to just hit is, is the poverty rate in Philadelphia is 23%. That's about one in five residents in Philadelphia live in poverty. Um, for, for just to give you an idea, a family of two lives on an income of $18,310. Philadelphia remains the poorest of the 10 largest cities in the country. $18,310 for a family of two. I compel us to be moved with compassion. The labor rate is 7.25 an hour. This statistic blew my mind. You would have to work 94 hours a week to afford a one-bedroom apartment at $882 a month. 94 hours a week to afford a one-bedroom apartment. 
$882, a two-bedroom, just to give you an idea, $1,153 is what the going market rate is. We need to be moved with compassion for our neighbors. The homeless rate in Philadelphia, 432 people are experiencing homelessness, 700 of those. This is, this is an interesting, the way that they talk about this. Office of Homeless Services categorized 700 people this way. 700 people are living in places not meant for human habitation. 700 people live in places not meant for human habitation. Let us be moved with compassion. Food security rate. So this is one, obviously, I'm super passionate about. I, I do this every day. Um, and I'm going to give you a definition of food insecurity. A household that is food insecure means that they don't have access to enough food for an active, healthy life for all of its members. That's how the U, uh, USDA defines food security. 15.8% of Philadelphia residents live in that. It's about 250,000 people. Um, and it's about 30% of our children for somewhere in the area of about 100,000 kids that live in food insecurity in Philadelphia. Yeah, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> Let us be moved with compassion. Gun violence. 562 people in 2021 were killed in Philadelphia. Just last night, a police officer up by Temple University was shot and killed. We're the fifth highest in the U.S. In communities, 78% of our black communities have reported hearing gunshots. In, in the gunshots, in where they reported, 78% are black communities, 76 are our Latino communities, where 46 are in our white communities. Resurrection Church, let us be moved with compassion. Opioid deaths. 1,250 in 2021. It's the second across all the, all the, like in all the U.S., we're second in opioid deaths. Now, Addiction, I guarantee you right now, there's people sitting in the pews this morning that struggle with addiction. I guarantee you right now that there's people um, that have personally struggled with addiction, or if not, you have family members that have struggled with addiction. I, I always say I, we go to way too many funerals. Um, as being a member of a recovery community, we go to way too many funerals, and this needs to stop. Um, the deaths uh, are, are crazy. And one thing I didn't mention, probably why I was almost tearing up under the gun deaths. In 2021, Small Things lost one of its valued employees as a result of gun violence. Two days, two weeks before Christmas, someone murdered him in his apartment where he lived with his wife and his three daughters. Lord, please move us with compassion. God's compassion is so vast 
and so wide. I just shared some really horrible things and some really hard things to swallow. I'm not going to act like any one of those stats that I shared is not complex, not nuanced, not super complicated. It is crazy trying to figure out how do you battle poverty in a major city. It is hard. But the Christian life doesn't call us to something that's easy. It calls us to bear one another's burdens because Christ bore the weight of the world for us. Let us be moved with compassion. Reaching down into some of the most vulnerable places, God meets us in our brokenness. I just got real deep and real heavy with all that. I want to share a couple of thoughts and then give some practical ways that we can reach one another and also think about these larger issues in the city that we need to act on. So a man that I love with probably everything I have, I was talking to him on the way in here. He's my, uh, he's my sponsor in recovery. His name's James G., James Glover. And I told him, I said, James, I'm going to quote you in my sermon and uh, James is an amazing man. And when I first got clean, he, he just shared something with me. He goes, he talked about the 12 steps because the 12 steps are part of a recovery process that change your life. And for me, it was very transformative in changing me into the person that I am today and even my relationship to Jesus. And James said the 12 steps give us the ability to put on someone else's shoes. And I was like, what? He was like, it gives you the ability to see the world through someone else's eyes. He goes, it allows you to get out of yourself, gives you the perspective to look at the world from the lens of someone else. That's what the compassion of God does for us, is when we receive God's compassion, the depth of our being, it really isn't that big of a stretch to like do that one extra act or as we say like take that extra phone call or jam up your schedule a little bit or maybe give a little bit of money or do these things that may cost us something but in the scale of God's compassion and what God has done for us it frees us up to enter into people's lives and when we enter into people's lives and we really take that seriously, it's going to jam our schedule up. It's going to be hard. It's going to be, it can, it can cost emotions and all kinds of things. But entering into others' lives is what we're called to do. We're called to love our neighbors. But in loving our neighbors, we need to keep central. The reason that we're able to love our neighbors is because of God's compassion for us. Because God is moved with compassion for us in Jesus, he can meet us right where we are to give us the ability to go and meet others where they are. So, seeing the world from another's perspective is a really powerful thing. It moves us out of ourselves and moves us towards compassion for another. To be able to think about someone that we may view life differently than to say, hey, you know what, that person might not actually be crazy, but they may just have a different way of looking at things. Let me try to understand where they're coming from. Let us somehow work together. 
some practical steps to be able to think about taking the next step of an act of compassion in someone's life life is first off i believe that there's people all, all you guys all everyone that's here this morning that you have people in your life that could use a good neighbor that could use a friend you have them maybe you avoid them maybe you silence their calls maybe you duck them when you're walking down your block take that step take that time rearrange your schedule a little bit you know what i mean be uncomfortable for a minute it never killed anyone get to know someone help them listen to them walk with them pray for them show them compassion be an example enter their lives get to know them there's a cost but god paid the ultimate cost for us there's also real practical ways for you guys to serve some of the higher level poverty statistics that I was talking about um, right here at Resurrection Church. They've, they have a ton of partnerships. I looked at, if you go to the serve section in the, in the worship folder, uh, there's all great partnerships. Obviously, I'll tell you to come volunteer at Small Things Philly. We could always use people on our grant team. We can use people to pack boxes. We can use people here helping serve the homeless. As, as that program, actually, I mean, if you talk to Sean after, he'll tell you, I mean, how many people have we placed in housing in the last, like, two months? Six, three, four, something like that? Yeah, we got four people in housing in the last like five or six weeks that were, didn't have a house prior. He can share the stories about that, which is awesome, and we need that help on Saturdays. Uh, also have Redemption Housing, which is a really cool mission where they help people coming out of prison and they give them stable housing and they have multiple sites. That's a great partner. Uh, also the Salvation Army New Day Drop-In Center. They do amazing work. I know these people. They're on Kensington Avenue and they're helping women. And, uh, and man, it's... It is, it is definitely, it is, it is a special, special ministry um, doing really impactful work up in Kensington. Um, it's, it's amazing. And I know Katie Bringley, one of the deacons, uh, could give you all kinds of information about that ministry. She volunteers there all the time. But there's ways that you guys are serving the greater needs of the city. So I didn't want to just put those statistics out there and saying that this church isn't doing anything. Your church is super involved and invested in serving and dealing with some of these larger issues within the city. But what I did want to say is that, like, all of you have a place to get involved. That, like, my prayer today is that all of you will be moved with compassion for the people in your lives and for our greater city so that we can see about the gospel of Jesus bringing about a transformation change because of what happens on the corner of 17th and Samson on Sunday mornings. Because you guys gather on Sundays, I pray that the city is changed during the week. And that it continues to multiply and spread. And there's a, a whole bunch of other churches doing really great work across the city as well. So my prayer would be that the Christians can step into this and really act with compassion to our neighbors. That's my prayer. I pray it every day. I cry sometimes because it can be sad. But I pray a lot and I have hope. I wouldn't do what I do if I didn't have hope. Because I could have just given up. Just give up. How many people are you going to bury, Vito? Just going to give up. But you, no. Because God is at work. Because God is at work. 
and he moves towards us with compassion. So sign up to serve. Find people in your life. Extend yourself. I'm going to close um, with a quote from N.T. Wright on his book, on his commentary on the Gospel of Luke on this text. What is at stake then now is the question of whether we will use our God-given revelation of love and grace as a way of boasting our own sense of isolated security and purity, or whether we will see it as a call and a challenge to extend that love and grace to the whole world. No church, no Christian, can remain content with easy definitions which allow us to watch most of the world laying half dead in the road. And he said, the one who showed mercy, Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your life, your death, and your resurrection. We thank you for your compassion, where you've met us. We pray for our city, Lord. We pray for uh, the shooting last night at Temple, Lord. We pray for the family. We pray for the people affected, Lord. We pray that you're healing grace and love and compassion. We pray that people surround people that are suffering. Lord, we pray that your compassion reaches this whole city through your people. And we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.